With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real. You're already working hard to earn your money. But how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It is Sunday, December 24th. It's Christmas Eve. So if you are busy preparing for your whole family to come over, or if you're running around shopping and figuring out what you're going to bring to your family, we are here to keep you company today. We've got the third part of our interview with Michael Batnick, who is one of the co-hosts with Josh Brown of the podcast called The Compound and Friends. These are the guys I fell in love with when I appeared on their podcast, The Compound and Friends, back in March, then again in October. And we've been working to develop this brand new joint venture, this new project called Jill on Money Powered by the Compound. This is our YouTube show and it is so much fun and I'm learning so much and it's been really fantastic. So if you'd like to watch that show, we've got a link on our website, jillonmoney.com, as well as links to so many other things, including the free weekly newsletter, our subscription service, our paywall. Yes, you can still pay $35 to join Jill on Money Live, where you will have access to quarterly live webinars for the next year. $35 for the year. You get the webinars, you get bonus content. It's really pretty good deal, I have to say. Anyway, if you join now, you'll lock in that $35. We're coming to the end of the year. And since Michael Batnick is a CFA, a chartered financial analyst, and since he really devours all the research out there, I thought it would be worthwhile to focus on the Federal Reserve and what he thinks is going to happen in 2024. Here is the last part of my interview with Michael Batnick. Without getting too in the weeds, we have a Federal Reserve that was late to the game. They waited too long to start with their interest rate increases, then they go really fast, and then here we are. So 2024, how do you think this plays out in terms of where the Fed goes from here? The Fed threaded the needle is what Ben said to me on the podcast yesterday. Uh, and I said, no, they absolutely did not. They were recklessly driving 100 miles an hour, drunk, <laughs> slammed on the brake, and managed to avoid an accident. They don't get credit for that, in my opinion. I agree with you. 
So, I agree with you. Starting back in the mid two thousands, frankly, I go. I can go back to Greenspan and say how much I hate him. And they were drunk on Goldschlager, like it was ugly. <laughs> so, what do they do in twenty twenty four? When do they cut? I don't. I mean, obviously, I don't know. What I do know is that the market will react before they do, mm-hmm. and you see that happening. The, the bond market is already cutting. Right, rates are significantly off their highs, uh, but it, it does matter. The cost of capital absolutely matters, but maybe not as much as we thought. Maybe not as much as we thought. Say more about that. Well, monetary policy is a very blunt instrument, Mm -hmm. right? That's the phrase that people in finance use. It's not surgical. It's not precise. Uh, And what it really impacts, not necessarily consumer behavior, the housing market, which was where the wealth effect comes from. But what they couldn't have predicted, or, or I don't think they could have predicted, was that You can't fix the demand problem for housing. That is structural. There are 70 million millennials. A lot of those people need to buy a house. And really want it badly. And that's not always a financial decision. Mm -hmm. You have a first child. You have a second child. Okay, square feet. You You need more of it. So what the higher interest rates did was it did nothing for demand. No. But it killed supply. Because people said, I can't afford to move. I have a 3% mortgage. Where am I going? Yeah, I'm locked down in my place. And so it kept prices high. And not to mention, uh, 65% of the nation owns a home. How many of them have a mortgage rate that's below 4%? Most of them. Yeah. So if we look ahead, how important is it for people to think about what the Fed is doing? Like, I'm- I'm Through what lens? um, I'm an individual investor. Like, you know, I watch CBS Mornings, Jill's on the air. I talk about inflation. I say, you know, it's going to come down, calm down, everybody. But, you know, inflation, also I would say the Fed, the reason why I think the the worst part of the Fed and being late, not just that they were reckless, but when they waited to slam on the brakes, they could have kind of pumped the brakes sooner. And I don't think inflation would have spiked by as much. And I think that consumers would not have freaked out so much. Now, yeah, I get it. War in Ukraine energy prices beyond their control. But it is possible that the Fed made the inflation pop much more dramatic and indelible in a lot of consumers, which I think is why so many people are like, everything costs more. Everything does cost more. And I can't stop myself from thinking that even if my got a raise, even if my house is up in value, but gosh darn it, it is expensive to go out to dinner. People feel like they deserve their raise. They don't deserve higher prices. And you adjust, right, as one does. Cool, I got a raise. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice adrenaline rush for maybe three paychecks. And then you get used to it. Yeah. But, oh, my God, my Chipotle costs $14, and I see that every day, and I can't get over it. Right. And, and so we, we had 10 years' worth of price increases in a 20-month window. And that's why you see all sorts of funky things going on between the sentiment, how people feel versus how the economy actually is. Mm -hmm. It's understandable. People are pissed off. Everything's so much more expensive. I'm pissed off. Really? I mean, a little bit. Yeah. Why? What's wrong with your life? Things are good. Listen, I'm the luckiest. (laughs) We just went over my story. I am truly the luckiest person uh, that I know. But no, I, I'm I'm empathetic to why people are pissed off. I agree with that. And I think that, you know, I learned this lesson early in my career I think one of the first times I was on CBS was on the early show in 2008. And I was talking with Harry Smith, who was the anchor then. And I said on the air, don't panic. 
because the markets were getting crushed. And my mother called me up and she goes, you should never say that. That doesn't work. She goes, don't say that. I am panicked. I'm scared too. And, and I'm scared. Yeah. Tell me that it's okay to be scared. And now tell me why I can stop being as scared as I am. It was like you, the best note that my mother's ever given You would be very me. proud of, of me. Those were the conversations that I was having with our clients in March of 2020. Now, I'm not an advisor. Mm-hmm. I'm not a CFP. Right. These are not my relationships. But when things like this happen, they want to talk to the investment person. Right. And that was my message. I'm scared too. I'm scared too. It's and like you, you don't could, know. If you could empathize and be a human being and then maybe also provide some data to help with right. it, then I think that's a pretty good recipe for success. So you've now been doing this for a dozen years. What's the most surprising thing that strikes you about the business, investing? What's surprising to you? Oh, man, I wish I had time to think about this. Uh, you have at least this, 20 this, seconds. This is not an answer, but maybe it's my own. I'm, I'm still obsessed with the market. I was talking with Josh about this. Like, I feel like when Josh is done, he could be done, you know? But I don't think I'll ever be done. I think when I'm 70, like, unfortunately, I will still be at the screen. My dad, when he left the trading floor, he got with a bunch of his buddies from the American Stock Exchange. They created their own mini desk off the floor. They finished doing that, and they were, let's say, in their 60s, and they all retired. And still, my father, just because he was that he was that kind of person that he would sit there with his yellow legal pad, watching CNBC, watching the runoff, marking his positions mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. hand mm-hmm. with his calculator, looking at his options expiration, trying to figure out what to do next. And I begged him to please, as he got older, to clean this up and keep one fund money account, but keep the real money somewhere else so that if something happened to him, that it would be easier for us with my mother. And um, and he was okay with that. Like he didn't care how much he did want to be in it. That was the thing that was very interesting to me. That he was, it could have been ten thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, or a million dollars. Well, it's a game, and we like playing. And he really, and it's yeah. like it's like saying to somebody, "I really love bridge." Yeah. By the way, traders are great bridge bridge players. I, I don't know about bridge. I know Warren Buffett likes bridge. I don't know about bridge. I think I'm. I, I recognize that people are very bad at predicting how they'll be in the future. Yes. And I understand that, you know, you grow up and things change. And I don't know, maybe, maybe when I'm 70, I will have want nothing to do with the market. That's possible. But I, I love it. I really do. It's the first thing I do in the morning and the last thing I do before I go to bed. All right. Well, that's it. I hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas. We'll be in the feed tomorrow. Be a little bit different. So you'll have to check us out. I promise it'll be a nice way to start your Christmas day, whether you celebrate or not. Just want to thank everyone again who uh, listens to us every day. It, It does absolutely fill my heart and it means so much to me that you guys support us. We really do rely on you to build this show. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You can subscribe to us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your favorite podcast. All of our content lives on the jillonmoney.com website. So check that out, bookmark it. You'll come back. I know you will. Lift someone up, change your work, change your wealth, change your life. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.